Man, would you just lift your hands and thank the Lord for his touch that's on this service. Amen. What a beautiful presence of the Lord we feel in this house right now. Would you just accompany those uplifted hands with an uplifted voice? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you so much for your touch that's in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. What an incredibly beautiful presence of the Lord is here tonight. Amen. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and smile at him real big. Just smile at him real big. Amen. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. And I'm very excited to be here. I have been looking forward to this Sunday night uh, for the last couple of weeks since Pastor and I, uh, McCall and I uh, established that I'd be joining you uh, on this Sunday. He told me you had an awesome church today. And so I'm just glad to come in on the, on the tail end of some awesome church, but I don't believe God's finished yet. Amen. Do you believe that the Lord has something for us this evening? Amen. I uh, am so happy to have my family with me tonight. They don't, aren't always able to travel with me, uh, but it's good to have them, and uh, I give honor to them. And I also give honor to uh, Brother and Sister Anderson. These are wonderful, wonderful people of God. Brother Anderson has been in my prayers uh, very often lately, and we love the Andersons, and also love your pastor. How many love your pastor and Sister McCall? Man, God's been good to this church. I remember my mom telling me as a little girl that she didn't have glasses, and uh, she just always thought that that green blob that she was looking at was called a tree, and it was just a green blob. But then she went to the optometrist, and they started testing her eyes, and she put some glasses on, and for the first time, she realized that there were leaves on that tree. She realized that those leaves were a part of the reproduction process of that tree. I just kind of feel tonight, I was just reminded of that story that I haven't thought of in probably 20 years. I just kind of feel like the Lord's going to just correct some vision tonight, let somebody know there's some leaves that are on that tree. Amen. Would you just lift up your hands right now and just ask the Lord to touch your eyes. Lord, open my eyes to see tonight. Lord, open my ears to hear tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. According to your faith, I believe that God's going to minister to your heart, your mind tonight. He'll do it if we'll allow Him to do it. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Thank you uh, for your patience in standing this evening. And uh, man, I just always love being in Lake City. I remember preaching in the old church. And so when I come over here and just see what God has done and uh, the many years of labor that the Andersons have put in here in Lake City, and now uh, it's developing into quite a number of years that the McCalls have uh, put in and leadership in this church in Lake City, and the many years that you have put in, and your faithfulness, and your giving, and your loving, and your reaching out, it's just always a joy to see what the Lord is doing. John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. 
And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And in John's time, he writes, even now already is it in the world. If it was in the world working at John's time, I believe it's even more so working today as the coming of the Lord draws closer. But ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He. Somebody say, greater is He. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The perspective of my flesh looks around and sees the pressures of the world as greater than the strength that is inside of me, but if we could just understand that we have a treasure in, in this earthen vessel tonight. If I can get my perspective right, then there's nothing that can stop me from being exactly who God says that I can be. I want to preach to you tonight about the power of perspective. Would you just lift your hands and lift your voice to the heavens right now? Heavenly Father, speak in this house. Let every word be ordered by you. I pray, God, that you would help us to stay right in the flow and the vein of your spirit tonight. I pray that you'd minister to minds, minister to hearts in this house tonight. And we thank you for it. We give you the glory and the praise. Would you give the Lord one great hand clap of praise tonight before you seat it? Amen. He is worthy. And He is a mighty God. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord. What a great crowd on a Sunday night. You can be seated. God bless you for being faithful to the house of the Lord on a Sunday night. The power of perspective. When we are first filled with the Spirit of God, how many know that our thinking changes? When I am filled with the Holy Ghost, my thinking changes, and when my thinking changes, when my mind changes, everything that the mind operates changes. That means that when my mind changes, my vision is corrected. My vision changes. When my vision changes, my perspective, my outlook on the cares of life and the things of life and the situations surrounding me begins to change, and when my perspective changes, then my actions begin to change. How many remember when you were filled with the Holy Ghost? The day after you were filled, you started walking a little bit different than you were the day that you were filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because when our perspective changes and our vision changes, then the way that we conduct our lives will follow. There is an old saying that thoughts become words, and words become actions. Actions then become habits, habits become character, and your character becomes your destiny. And I believe that there is some truth to that. And furthermore, I believe that the enemy of our souls understands that there is a little bit of truth to that. So it is that the primary strategy of the enemy of our soul is to wage war on the battlefield of my mind. Somebody say, my mind. My mind is the battleground for my future. My mind is the battleground for my soul. And so when the enemy comes in and begins to attack my mind, he does it by planting doubts in my mind. He does it by attaching a spirit of fear that will come in and will attack 
my mind. How many have been sitting maybe at home and maybe there was just a little unbelief that at some point began to creep into your mind or maybe it was a little bit of confusion. Maybe it was accusation from the words of another that came against you. Deception, distraction, the spirit of infirmity, discouragement, depression, all of these things are an attack on your mind. They are an attack on your perspective. These are tactics of the enemy that he will use to destroy your mind because he understands that if I can get a hold of their thinking, then I can get a hold of their future. Amen. But God also understands that if I can get a hold of their thinking, I can get a hold of their future. Let this mind which is in Christ Jesus be also in me. Amen. Let me just let you in on a little secret tonight. Everybody ready for a secret? Just wave your hands. You ready? This is going to be profound. It's going to be deep, Brother Anderson. If the devil could kill you, you would already be dead. I'm going to say that again because it was so deep. Amen. If the devil could kill you, you wouldn't be here tonight. You would already be dead. But because he cannot touch you, he begins to talk to you. When he could not touch Job, we find that he was running his mouth in Job's ear. But we understand that when God lifted that hedge and said, well, you can touch everything, but you can't take his life. The devil quit talking. He didn't waste any more time telling him what he could do to him, but he just went ahead and put his hands on Job and his family, and he tried to take everything from him because when he can touch you, he won't waste time talking to you. That means to me that if he's still talking, it's because... Because God has said he can't touch me. God has said that I'm going to put a hedge around your future. Amen. So in this world, Paul says, there are many voices. There are voices that come from everywhere. I, I believe that I've identified at least six voices that I can find in Scripture. You've got the voice of the flesh. That's your appetites that rise inside of you. You've got the voice of your soul. The voice of your soul is that hunger for something beyond you. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. You've got got other voices that speak into your life. You've got the voice of culture that comes through to you through media and social media and the books you read and the things that you look at. And then you've got the voice of influencers, which is family and friends. And some of them will believe in you and they will lift you up. But then there are others that'll tell you that you can't be who God called you to be. And they'll try to pull you down. All of these are voices that the enemy uses. Then there's these demonic voices that come and whisper doubt and try to attack you with fear and whisper you in your ear and say that you can never be what God called you to be. But I want to tell you that there's a sixth voice and it's the voice of God. And if we can just make up our mind that I'm going to separate myself from some of the things that have been speaking into my life and messing with my mind and clouding my vision, I'm going to get alone in a secret place with God I want you to tell you that all of a sudden the scales will begin to come off of your eyes and you'll begin to see things as God sees them Amen 
Here's a good rule of thumb. If the devil's whispering in your ear, it's not true. Well, I could shout about that because he's whispered some things in my ear that I thank God are not true. If the devil's whispering in your ear, it's not true. Because he cannot determine your direction, he attempts to paralyze a man by painting for him a picture of a false perspective. Changed by God one day as he wrestled with an angel, Jacob's past could no longer define him. Known as Jacob the liar, the plotter, the planner, the thief of his brother Esau's birthright, there was inside of Jacob a passionate pursuit of that seed of the future that God had placed deep within his soul. You can think about Jacob and criticize and characterize him however you want to. You can criticize his lying, conniving ways, if you will. Call him a thief if you so desire. But there was a passion inside of Jacob that I kind of admire. There was a passion inside of him that could not be suppressed. And so it was when Esau, the brother whom Jacob had cheated, pursued him. Jacob left his wives, his servants, and his sons. And the Bible says that he got alone with God. And there he wrestled with an angel until the breaking of day. And that angel said, let me go, for the day breaketh. But that old thing, that desire, that passion wouldn't let go. He said, I will not let thee go unless you bless me. And so it was there that the passion of a lying Jacob broke forth into the blessing of Israel. This man who had been known for his shady ways was now Israel, a man packed with promise because when he got alone with God, God changed his entire view on life. God changed his outlook. He was blessed with a new perspective. His name was changed to reflect his new perspective. Jacob, you used to be a cheater. Your past was littered with a thousand lies, but because you refused to allow your past to dictate your perspective of your future. In your future, a thousand generations shall call you blessed, Jacob. Nations are going to spring forth from you, Jacob. And so it is that there are voices. There are false perspectives. There are things that dot the landscape of my past. But if I can get alone with God, if I can find my identity in the Word of God, if I can heed the voice of the man of God, if I can listen to that still small voice of the Holy Ghost uh, that'll whisper in my ear uh, then those voices will become silenced in my life and it is then that he that began a good work in me uh, is also able to perform it hallelujah talking about the voices that have been whispering in some of our ears Jacob had a favorite son by the name of Joseph we find Jacob, even in his older years, after ch the changing of his name, he's targeted by the deceptive tactics of the enemy upon his perspective. And so his sons walk in and they toss the bloody coat of Joseph at his feet, leaving Jacob to draw his own conclusions. This have we found. 
Know not, uh, uh, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. They left him to draw his own conclusions. They led the horse to water, but they didn't make him drink. They were going to just see what kind of conclusion that he would come to. And the Bible says that he knew it. And he said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Jacob, Jake, uh, Joseph is no doubt rent into pieces. And the Bible says that Jacob, Jacob, because of a false perspective, Jacob, because of a false assumption, rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and he mourned his son for many days. Israel he was. This was no longer Jacob. Yet there was a remnant of an old perspective inside of Jacob's mind. And so it is that Jacob's coat, woven of many colors, is now but one color. It's the color of goat's blood. It's the color of a faulty assumption. I want to tell you today that when the enemy walks into your bedroom and throws a coat down in front of you and asks you a question, you better have made up your mind somewhere back in the past that I'm not going to let that perspective live any longer. I'm not going to let it rise up again. But I believe that it shall be even as it was told me. Hallelujah. I want you to hear me tonight. Before every great revival comes to any great church like this one, there will be a bloody coat moment. Before any great revival comes to your home, there will first be a bloody coat moment. Before any revival comes to you personally in your spirit, you can mark it down. There's going to be a bloody coat moment. And so it is that our perspectives are colored by our past. We cannot know the future, but so often I can't forget my past. So the whispers of hell come and begin to speak in our ears, reminding us of what has been, telling us that what has been is what shall be. It will be a rep repetition. It will be a cycle. The enemy of our souls knows that when you and I refuse to be dominated by who we once were, it is then that we can rise from the remnant of who we once were and become who God intends for us to be. He cannot touch the trajectory of my life. And so what he does is he joins the battle in my mind. And it's in my mind, it's in my thinking, it's in my thoughts, it's in those imaginations that begin to be formed inside my mind that he begins to wage war for my soul. And he does this by making every attempt to paralyze me with a perspective that is colored by my past. And because mama was addicted to drugs, then I'm always going to be one that struggles with drug addiction. And because daddy was a man who was not committed, then I'm always going to be a man who was not committed. What the enemy's doing is he's reminding you of your past. But I want to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday night that when the enemy attempts to color your life with a false perspective. You remember that your life has not been colored with the blood of goats, but your life has been covered with the blood of the Lamb. 
I want to tell somebody here tonight that you can be, hear me, hear me, hear me, you can be exactly who God says that you can be. I said you can be exactly who God says you can be. Not who did mama say I could be. Now, I had the great privilege of growing up under a great father. My dad told me I could be president of the United States if I wanted to. I said, I don't want to stop there. I want to be a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Some of your mamas and daddy, I tell my boys, boys, you can do whatever. You can be a missionary to a foreign country. You can be exactly what God calls you to be. But I want to tell you, it's not about some of you didn't have mamas and daddies that believed in you. But it's not about what mama said. It's not about what daddy said. It's not about what the school counselor said. It's not about what the principal said because you were living in the office every day. But it's about what did God call me to be what did God say that I could be what can this church be I'll tell you what the devil will say well it can't be anything the devil will say you can't ever fill a pew the devil will say this and that some people that may have left the church because they bought in to a false perspective of the church will say oh that church will never amount to not anything but I want to ask you a question tonight what does God say that his church can be what does God believe it can be I believe that God has much people in this city, Elder. You know what I choose to believe? I choose to believe the report of the the Lord. And when I read the word of God, Brother McCall, it says that when I pray, though my voice may not always echo very loud like it used to, Brother Anderson, that my prayers go up as a memorial before the throne of God day and night. I want to tell you that your voice might not be as powerful, Elder, as it used to be, but your prayer Prayers are louder in the spirit than they've ever been. And you need to pray over some old promises and say, I believe God. Somebody shouted, I believe God. Say it again. Say it again. You know, Brother McCall, we get this idea in Pentecost that you got to be in the spirit to praise the Lord. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. <laughs> the Bible says that when there's a spirit of heaviness upon me, that I can put on the garment of praise. You know what that means? That means that sometimes I don't feel like getting up here doing a Holy Ghost jig. But if I put on the garment of praise... <laughs> then there's a heaviness that'll begin to lift. And I might have been just faking it at first, but then the Holy Ghost, God says, I will inhabit the praises of Israel. Let me take that principle and transfer it to where I want to go right now. Some of you were saying, I believe God, but you don't really believe God. And so here's what we're going to do right now. Say it again. Say, I believe God. Say, I believe God. I want to tell you, if you'll keep saying it every day that you wake up, there's going to be a day that you wake up and you're really believing God. There's going to be a day that you wake up and you say, hey, there's some kind of hope that's in me that wasn't in me last week. I really believe that God can pour out his spirit on all flesh. Say it again. I believe God. 
I believe that it shall be even as it was told me. We look at our situation and we say this term, Brother McCall, it's kind of popular. It is what it is. <laughs> I read Facebook and see what some of these folks post and I'm like, it is what it is. But guess what? That might not be what God says it is. <laughs> you look at your situation and say, well, it is what it is. No, that's not, that's not how you need to look at it. You need to look at it and say it is exactly what God says it is. And it may have been meant for evil for me right now, but God means it for good in my future. And all things are going to work together according to his purpose for my good. He said, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts to prosper you, thoughts to give you an expected end. So I ask you, whose report will you believe? I may up my mind I'm going to believe the report of the Lord <laughs> because your past is simply qualification for your future <laughs> this is what's messed me up for years I'll just be real honest with you I always thought if I failed that it was an indictment on me and sometimes it probably was but then I began to get a new perspective, Brother Anderson. And I began to quit looking at my failures as final. But I began to view my failures as a foundation of now I know how not to do it. Now I know, now I've found out another way not to do it. They say Thomas Edison failed so many times that he was throwing one failure after another out the window of that laboratory and they asked him about it. He said, I've just found one more thing that won't work, but I'm one more step closer to finding my answer if you'll get a different perspective on your failures and not say I failed so it must be final but say I failed and I'm going to let it be a foundation upon which God can build me into who he intends me to be look I know you know when I got up this morning I think it was about seven or eight or something. I don't know. I was preaching locally, so I didn't have to drive very far. I got my rest because I knew I was going to come to Lake City and preach my preach my as much strength as I had, Brother Anderson. That's what I love to do. My day started about seven seven thirty. My day started after the breaking of the day. My day started when the sun began to shine. But you know what the Bible says, Brother Trent? It says that the evening and the morning were the first day. You know what that means? It means that my day might start when the sun starts shining. But God's day started when it was still dark. I'm talking to somebody that needs to shift your perspective about the breaking of the day right now. And you may be walking in the darkness and maybe you have a perspective that says the day's over. There's no more hope for me. There's no more future. No, if it's dark, that's just the beginning of a brand new day and weeping may endure for a night. But I came to tell somebody that joy comes in the morning. What God was doing in the dark is going to reveal itself in the light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You thought it was over, but God's saying it's just begun. Here's the thing about perspective, Pastor McCall. 
you and I can look at the same event and we're sitting a foot and a half from each other. And you'll see it one way and I'll see it the other way. But it's only one event. One thing happened. That's why we say there's his side, her side, and the truth. Two people in the same place can see the same event, and they can say that two different things happened. Why? Because if he's sitting over there, then he's blinded from some things that I see over here. And I'm blinded from some things that he sees over there. Now, if you've ever seen a baseball game, here's what happens. The runners leaves first, trying to steal the base, and he slides into second. And one ump says, safe! And the other ump might be thinking, no, he was out. And the guy that slid into the base says, I was safe! And the guy that laid down the tag said, I was out! So you know what they do? They go and do what's called an instant replay. I think they've got that in baseball. If not, I know they have it in football. And so what they do is they go into a place where they are separated from all the voices. They go to a place where everybody's opinion does not matter. And they get a brand new perspective. They walk in, and I, I know in football they get under this hood. And there's one referee that gets under that hood in that secret place. And he begins to see things on that screen from every perspective of every camera that's on that field. And so now what's happening is he's not just looking through a narrow window anymore. But now his perspective is beginning to widen. I want to tell somebody that there are times when what you see is not what God meant it to be. And you need to get into a secret place with God and say, God, enlarge my vision. God, I need you to expand my perspective. <laughs> and here's what I like. What happens is when that man slides into the base or when that man makes the catch and that ump makes a call or that referee makes a call that that player doesn't agree with, he goes like this right here. You know what that means? That means you better review that again. That means I want a second opinion. You know what you need to do when you wake up and there's depression and discouragement that's weighing on you? and your feet hit the floor and you're wondering why do I feel this way and you're thinking well it seems like I got the money to pay the bills that's not it it seems like my marriage is okay that's not it my kids are coming to church with me that's not it why am I feeling this way it's because there's a heaviness of voices from somewhere that's speaking into your ear and you need to stand up put on the garment of praise and say I'm going to get me a, a second opinion. I don't want to, I'm not going to listen to what the enemy's got to say to me, but I want to hear things from God's point of view. From God's point of view, when I begin to see from the perspective of heaven, I can then respond with the grace and the kindness of God. How many hurts? Think about it. How many grudges? 
How many feuds have begun all because both sides saw the same thing just from a different perspective? Both may have been right in their evaluation, but both stopped short of stepping into the replay booth with God and looking at things from heaven's point of view. I want to tell you tonight, you and I will never go wrong by going and getting a hold of a new perspective. We will never go wrong by giving our brother and our sister and our pastor the benefit of the doubt. My dad told me a long time ago, he said, life is not about proving points. Life is not about stating your opinions. But life is about getting into a place with God where you begin to see things from his point of view. If you and I can see God's perspective, we begin to view the past differently. If we can see from God's perspective, we don't operate according to the color of assumption. But we walk with our steps, our words, and our decisions ordered by God. You know, how we handle things doesn't just affect us, Pastor McCall, but it also affects our children. It also affects our church. Our perspective affects everybody that's sitting at our table. Our perspective affects everybody that we rub shoulders with. Our perspective dictates in some way their perspective. And our voice becomes a voice in their life. Our perspective will begin to chart the trajectory of not just our future, but it'll chart the trajectory of those that listen to us, their future. The parallels between Moses and David are many. Both were anointed by God, trained up by godly parents, their lives directed as arrows in the hands of God. Moses was raised in the palace and died in the wilderness. David was raised in the wilderness and died in the palace. And I propose to you that the difference between these men was the power of their perspective. Moses was a man who lived much of his life paralyzed by perspective. He murdered a man and then he fled to the wilderness, losing his voice, his confidence completely destroyed. It was there that God found him and recalibrated the course of his life to become the deliverer of his people. Yet even after Moses, a man whose voice has apparently returned and whose confidence has been bolstered in leading God's people, we see remnants of a wilderness perspective of doubt in his mind. You see, your perspective is going to be multiplied in the lives of the people that you lead. And so it's transferred by your actions and it's transferred by your words. And so it is that Moses sends 12 spies in to spy out the land of Canaan. And when they come back, we see that 10 of them says, no, there are giants in the land and we are as grasshoppers in their eyes. They were detailing their negative 
or the Bible says their evil report and their perspective. But there were two that said yes. And so it is that because of a perspective, there was a generation that died in the wilderness. But at a ripe old age, we find a man named Caleb saying, give me my mountain. The difference was the power of perspective. And then there's David, who's a man empowered by his perspective. He's not a man that's dragging a negative perspective around in his flesh, yet alone in his mind he was never alone. In the spirit he was never alone. He understood that God was with him in the wilderness. A confidence was built in his battles with a lion and a bear. And it's there that he didn't lose his voice in the wilderness, but he found it there. And so upon standing before Saul, it was met with the opposing perspective. Wear this armor, David. You're going to need it. Goliath is a man of war from his youth. His brethren doubted and Saul doubted, but David was the only male in all of Israel that was not paralyzed by the remnants of an old perspective that was probably left over from the days of Moses. And he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. You may look at me like a dog, but I look at you as an uncircumcised Philistine. Your human power cannot match my spiritual promise. You can look at it like Saul and his brethren and believe David had a giant problem. But from his perspective, Goliath had a David problem. He just believed that he could be exactly who God called him to be. The Philistines had tormented and talked and painted a bleak perspective and caused Israel to cower in fear. But in the end, the man who chooses God's point of view always wins <laughs> as we stand tonight. You know what I, you know I kind of feel in my spirit right now? I, I kind of feel like some of you are feeling like Daniel in a den of lions. Does anybody know that feeling when it feels like the world's against you? If you know that feeling, just lift your hand. You feel like Daniel in a den of lions. Anybody feel that way even tonight? Just go ahead and lift your hand and say, I need God to help me tonight. Let me tell you about Daniel in the den of lions. Back in a lion's den, Brother McCall, History tells us, the Bible doesn't really say, but history tells us a few facts about these ancient lion's dens. And sometimes they would keep ten lions in a den. And you see, when there are ten lions in a den, there's a pecking order. Kind of like when there's ten men in a room. And there's always that dominant personality and that dominating spirit. Because like humans, lions recognize authority. And so it is that every morning, Brother Trent, they'd walk up to that lion's den and they'd look over the edge and they'd throw ten dead animals or ten pieces of meat into that lion's den. And that pecking order began to get into action. And the prime cut of meat went to the lion with the loudest roar. 
The prime cut of meat went to the lion that walked in authority in that lion's den. The Bible tells us that one day they walked up with Daniel in their arms. <laughs> and they tossed Daniel into the lion's den. When they tossed Daniel into the lion's den, it says that those were unfed lions. It doesn't say they tossed Daniel in with nine other dead animals or nine other pieces of meat. But they tossed Daniel in a den of unfed lions. That means that the lion that walked in authority in that den was going to have Daniel for lunch. That was the pecking order. That was the way it operated. But my Bible tells me that when Daniel was thrown in that lion's den, Brother Anderson, that the mouths of those lions were shut because lions recognize authority. And they recognized that the authority in that den was not the lion with the loudest roar. The authority in that den was not that roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. But when Daniel was thrown into the den, they recognized that this is a man with authority. It's because every morning he opens his windows towards Jerusalem and he will not bow. And he believes that he can be the man that God called him to be. And so you may feel like you're Daniel in a lion's den, but I came to switch the perspective for somebody tonight and tell you that it's about the lions in Daniel's den. You are the one that walks in authority. Would you lift your hands in this house right now? Every hand lifted if you're able. Uh, every hand lifted as you're able. I'm going to ask you to step out of your pew right now if you're able to get up to the front. Everybody in this house who wants a change of a perspective, God's going to do it in this house right now. I'm going to ask you to make your way to the front with your hands lifted. Your hands lifted saying, God, I'm presenting to you my old perspective. God, I'm presenting to you the way that I've been seeing things. Both hands lifted as if you can, brothers and sisters. God, I'm presenting to you my past. God, I'm presenting to you a perspective of my present. God, I'm presenting to you my future right now. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to help me to become the man, the lady that you have called me to be. <laughs> That's it. Begin to lift your voice to Jesus. I'm going to begin to pray and minister in the altars. Begin to lift your voice to Jesus. Believe that you can be the man, you can be the lady, you can be the church that God has called you to be.